Welcome to the Imperfectly Perfect Campaign, sharing real-life stories from real people to unite them in global change for the face of mental health. We will also reduce the stigma, creating communication, healing, and awareness to save lives and inspire. Join us weekly as we talk to some of the highly acclaimed faces, influencers, experts, and others who have been through extreme adversity. All right, guys, so welcome to another episode of the Imperfectly Perfect podcast. And today, before we do get started and introduce our guest, I want to introduce you to the co-host who everybody knows, Rachel Newsham. How are you going? I'm good. I'm enjoying the winter. It's good. Up in Auckland, we've finally got a season. That's fantastic. And it's great to be here. Thanks, Glenn. Well, it's cold down in Auckland. (laughs) Actually, it is. But I don't think it's cold. Yeah, it's it's like three degrees in the morning, which is cold for Aucklanders. But the season is what I'm really embracing. It's just great. Lots of layers. Oh, well, I'm saying as I'm sat in a a woolly jumper coat thing because it's freezing in Sydney as well. But... This is going to be a great episode. It's uh, a mutual friend that we both know um, from, I won't even say your neck of the woods. You've been in New Zealand a long time now, so you can classify yourself as a, a Kiwi a citizen. But um, two Brits against one Kiwi. Anyway, I'm going to get into it. So this guy has been a world-leading fitness professional and high-level athlete since 1999 and has won the New Zealand Fitness Instructor of the Year title three times. He has travelled the world presenting at fitness conferences, produces fitness podcasts, and is a writer for the press and the Dominion Post newspapers. He's competed as an Ironman triathlete around the world, including the grueling Hawaii Ironman. He's also the owner of New Zealand's top-running business, Extra Mile Runners, which caters to all levels of runners and does a cheeky bit of modeling on the side. So I've seen through his socials. Oh, <laughs> welcome to the show, Bevan. It's all a lie. It's all a lie. <laughs> <laughs> what, what's it like when you hear back? I always say, and I said to Rachel on hers as well, what's it like when you, when you listen to someone say your bio and just going back over your life and you go, oh, actually, that's me. <laughs> Do you know what? I like it, but you know, like I am proud of my career. And because and I, I like this idea of, I think we're very lucky that we get to do the thing we're passionate about. And I do like this idea of um, what will be your legacy at the end of your career. And, you know, like I, I think that all three of us will be able to sit at the end of our career and go, you know, we, we had an impact that was really powerful. And I like that idea of, you know, when you get to a certain age, kind of the legacy becomes a more important thing. And so it's definitely something I'm more conscious of as I kind of, and it's nice to look back and go, I got some things right, you know. Exactly, exactly. You know what I wanted to delve into first, right? So, this is this is a thing when it comes to these conversations. Recently, I I was on a a platform and I heard a friend that I'd I'd recently made, and six weeks ago he'd been going through a tough time, struggling. Now he talks to people about mental health and about fitness and all this kind of thing. On a surface level, none are as new. Again, I lost a friend because of the surface level. And that made me think, we, 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 we spoke about it and we talked about it, but that made me think about these questions with you um, because we all know each other and we've crossed and interlinked through our paths. We all know each other on a surface level and some degree over the years got to know each other better, but we don't always know with friends, acquaintances, family members, what's the story behind where they are today. So can you take us back and just... Tell us about Bevan, because a lot of people obviously know you from Les Mills International. They see the highlight reels. What about Bevan? Where did he start on his journey? Jeez. Uh, well, so I am, the, the you know, the, the, the good old-fashioned turn-your-life-around story. Um, I was basically a failure. Uh, so I, I left school at 15, and, and the joke I often make is that 
I, I wasn't the kid who was an intelligent who didn't apply themselves. I, I actually was just a bit thick. Um, and that was showing like I couldn't spell, I couldn't read. Um, I just really lacked any kind of intellectual knowledge. Now, luckily for me, I, I always had very good social skills. So I was always understood people, but academically I was uh, just, you know, a real failure. And so I kind of left school at 15 and just feeling like a failure. Uh, and, and it was kind of represented in many ways, but it kind of led to me just going down a quite a destructive path. And I'm kind of like, like, like all three of us are, we're, we're kind of hundred percent people. If we're going to do something, we're going to go all in. And for me, that was represented with drugs and alcohol. And there's this kind of this kind of just slow degrading of self that happened. And so it was drugs, it was alcohol. And, and I was the guy who, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to go all in. But ultimately what happened was it just, there was a loss of self that happened. So I, like I remember um, I got to the point where I became a really bad stutterer, like, like a really bad stutterer. Like you would have thought I had a stuttering problem. And it was purely just because I had no confidence as a person. And ultimately what was happening was I was just more kind of isolating myself, using drugs and alcohol and, and kind of my ethics were really low. Like I was getting into crime and, and all the, my partners, I was just kind of horrible too. So I was just this really kind of damaged person. And unfortunately at that age, I just didn't really know a better way forward. And so I kind of, and there's this kind of moment, which I tell the story of where my life kind of changed. So my drug of choice, I always loved, the harder drug um, I was you know like I was never like I like dope and all the rest of it but I for me like mushrooms and LSD and the drugs which really kind of took you to a deeper place was kind of my thing and I remember one night I took um, a really high doses of LSD and I had this experience where I was in this room with all my best friends and I just felt really the word I use is kind of threatened um, you know just think of like we're all hanging out together but then I take this drug and I just felt really threatened and the thing about LSD is that your senses are like times 100 so I felt threatened in this room so I removed myself and I went outside I, I remember this clearly I went outside and I sat down just on a step at the back of the house but I, I was hallucinating and, and as I'm hallucinating the, the palings of the fence in front of me just kind of appeared with these ghostly kind of figures looking down on me with like disapproval and I just felt really, it was a real, it was like a horrible moment in my life. And I knew I had to kind of escape. So I kind of called a taxi, went home. And this is like 30 minutes into a trip. So, you know, trips can go up to eight hours if it's really high. So I went home, I, I played guitar. So I picked up my guitar and played my guitar for a little bit. And then after playing my guitar for a while, I remember I thought of my mate, Mark Haycock. Mark Haycock was like my best friend. And Mark was this kid who had a lot going for him. Like he'd, he was at university, he played rugby for Canterbury. But like me, he was just going down the wrong path. So he wasn't turning up to university. So he was kind of failing. He wasn't really turning up to rugby training. So he was kind of, and he was into his drugs and stuff. And I remember just thinking, if Mark could do this, this and that, his life would be amazing. And basically for the next hour of my life, I thought of everybody in my life. And because I was kind of in this high state, I just, I had the answers to all of their problems. And I remember this is kind of, this is like in the nineties. So I went and got a tape deck and in my mind, I was going to ring these people the next day. I was going to tell them all the answers to their life. Like I literally got a tape deck and I'm talking to this tape deck going, Mark, you need to do this, this and that, you know? And so, so like for like this whole hour and I, I thought of everybody in my life. And then after an hour, I thought, what about me? And it was a real, first, I was really confrontational and it was the first time in my life I'd actually saw myself for who I really was. Cause I was just this basically low skilled, vulnerable, damaging young man who was ultimately just hurting myself in my world. And, uh, 
And I remember the question, and everyone talks about this nowadays, but the question that came in my head was just how do I become a better version of myself? And the next week I gave up drugs and alcohol. I started getting back into fitness. Um, I went and got spelling lessons. Like I'm, I've achieved a lot in fitness. When I became a writer for my local newspaper, it was my biggest achievement in my life because I couldn't spell the, you know, and I've just wrote, finished writing my second book. So I just went on this kind of development pathway. And the thing about that moment is when you've come from kind of being nothing to growing and, and achieving some pretty cool things along the way, it just becomes a self-fulfilling loop because you just feel there's just a belief that comes with it. There's a confidence that comes with it. Um, you're not afraid to put your hand up for more things moving forward. And then you just become really a, attracted to growing. Um, and so that's kind of, in a, in a nutshell, kind of my change moment. And it kind of led to who I am today. Bev, it's, um, so the, this story that you've just shared with us so graciously is not entirely new to me because we've had these chats over the years. Yeah. Um, and you've been so open and transparent and listening to it again probably for like the fifth or the sixth time I'm still fascinated at this turnaround tale it's it's incredible and I'm sure everyone listening to this must be thinking the same thing wow like what a turnaround of a soul of a human to be able to have such self-awareness um listening to you say about the tape deck for everybody that's still you from what I know that's you you think about everyone you're so interested in everyone I often walk away from your conversation with me thinking I think I'm clearer on my life's journey having had spent time <laughs> with Beth and James Isles <laughs> it's fabulous your contribution is huge I want to ask you having heard that back from me um if if that pivotal moment in your life back then was why you turned things around if I ask you now in 2021, what is your why? Knowing the impact that you have on your community, um, I'd be interested to know your why now and if it's different from then or if it's fundamentally the same or, yeah, what, what would that be? Uh, yeah. um, I kind of, I, I, I'm really structured in how I try to create my life. Um, I, I, I remember I watched this documentary on Bob Dylan on Netflix and it actually wasn't that good, but one thing he said, which I really loved is he said, so many people are trying to find themselves. So I always thought it was my job to create myself. Um, and that really impacted me because I do think so many people are out there trying to find the answer. And to me, I think it's our job to create the life that we want. Um, and so for me, it is, a, it is a real process. It's something I put a lot of conscious effort and in time and energy into. So, and the way I go about doing it is I kind of say, who am I? And it's my values. And so these are things like love, honesty, fun, growth, you know, just kind of who am I? And then I say, what are my passions? And my passions are people, fitness and music. And then I go, uh, what are your missions behind your passions? So, for example, with fitness, my, my mission is to create supportive and um, supportive and growing environments. No, so sorry, supportive and professional environments where people grow and belong through movement. Uh, so it's my mission. And then I kind of set goals around these things. And so ultimately, I want to, to me, my, my journey is what's the evolution of that? So, like, if I think of love, in 10 years from now, I'd love to have a, a higher understanding of what love is. If I think of honesty, I'd love to have a higher level understanding of honesty. And so then what I use is I use people, fitness and music to, to evolve those. And then I have my missions and my goals to really just think about how am I spending today? Like if I look at my day, you know, today I've taught two fitness classes. What's fitness, our classes, it's people, fitness, music. And then I've come home and I've had um, a couple of mentoring sessions. I've just been playing piano before I spent time with you guys. I get to share my story with people. So 
my whole day is the shit I love doing. And, um, but, it, it, but it is something I create. And I, every three months I do this kind of process, which makes me stay aligned. And I actually have like every morning I have these, I just, I'm a big believer in tools ultimately. Um, and I've learned the more I use my tools, the more I can evolve myself. And so ultimately it's kind of that stuff really. I feel like um, we're just having a, a lesson now in life, Rachel. <laughs> I, I'm just immersed. I'm just sat there just listening, just going, yeah, you're making me think about a few things here, baby, <laughs> which I well, love. So like, for example, like my, so I've got a, a thing I do every morning. Um, and actually, I'll share it to you two right now, just because you guys can see the screen, but I'll talk about it just to, um, oh, no, I can't share I can't share But basically, it's like this, this book that I read, it's about me. And it's kind of like 25 pages. Now, most of it's just pictures and stuff. Um, but it's, it's basically I read it every morning and then I plan my day based on it. And it's it's what it's an awareness tool. So it makes me check in. The thing that this, so like it's where are you at? It's kind of, are you living your day well? It's where you're trying to grow. It's what impact you're having. It's all these types of kind of things that makes you think about. And the thing for me is the reason I think this tool is so important is that A, I live today well. But B, you never slip too far from what's important to you. Because we all have days where we're not sharp. We all have days where, you know, we're, you know, we're kind of disappointed in ourselves. Like nobody's perfect. But I think the problem for a lot of people is they, they don't catch that early enough. And so, you know, what happens is they have a bad day and then it becomes two days and then it becomes three and then it becomes a month and so on. And then they wake up and they've lost themselves. And to me, like the morning tool for me is I have crap days. I have days where I, you know, have behaviors and ways I think that aren't working for me. But that tool catches it and it goes, you know what, get back on track. And to me, again, it's just these use of tools allows me to stay in a place where most of the time, I, I, you know, I, you're never going to wake up in six months from now and go, geez, who's this guy? You know, because I catch it the moment you fall off. And I just think tools are a really good way to kind of, you know, like I do this mentoring work and I know I've done a good job when someone says, I just feel like I'm being me. You know, and to me, I just think we need tools to make sure we're doing it in our lives. I think that's that's amazing for anybody to listen to. And ultimately, what I'm taking from that is where I've gone in my journey. And me and Rachel often speak about this. And you're stepping into your truth. And even that, you just said there, when somebody says on a mentoring session, I just feel like me. Well, you've yeah. got out of them that truth. That's that's yeah. who they are. So I think that's amazing. But if we rewind a little bit, you you spoke about feeling like a failure what transitioned you into fitness? Because we know there's a commonality about bringing people together and the love, and then you had the stutter. And how did that come into play to where you are these days? So, um, so what happened was, as I was kind of a druggie, one thing I did do is I started playing guitar. And I was never, like, I was always a good athlete, but I was never the athlete who'd worked hard at it. I was kind of just a good athlete. Um, and so I was kind of I wouldn't say I was an amazing athlete, but I was a, I had talent, but it wasn't because of effort, you know? So you get the athlete who's got no talent, but got a lot of effort. Then you get the athlete who's got talent, but no effort. And then you get the ultimate athlete who's got talent and effort, like a Richie McCaw in rugby, or, you know, you just think of the top, top athletes. Um, and so while I was a good athlete, I'd never actually felt I was good at anything, you know, because academically I'd failed, you know, while I was a good athlete, I, you know, I was just kind of naturally good at it. And then I started playing guitar when I was about 17 and it's kind of, you know, a good thing to do when you're into drugs. And so, so um, and I, 
I worked really hard at it. Like I, I worked because I just became in love with playing guitar. And so, and I worked really hard. I remember one night a lady by the name of Sarah Woolley, she turned around and she said, you realize when you're not around, all your mates say you're a really good guitarist. And that was a bit of a profound moment for me because it was the first time in life where I'd actually worked hard at something and got better at it and actually you could see that. And so then when I had that epiphany that I needed to change, I kind of just had this really simple formula if you want to get good at something, just work hard at it. Like it was just a really simple formula. And then luckily, so then I started getting back into fitness and that's when I started training again. And then I started going to a gym and, and, and it was just a really simple, you know, even as a Les Mills instructor, like I failed my first module. Like I didn't even pass the Les Mills module. I failed it, but I was like, don't worry, I'll work hard at it and I'll get there. And it was just a really simple formula. And so it's kind of a trait that I've always had is if you want to be good at something, just do the hard yards and, yeah, and it's kind of, in some ways, there's some faults with that as well. Um, but in many ways, it's helped me a lot in my life. You've got such an open-minded perspective on the world. Uh, ever since I've, we had those chats when I first moved to Auckland, and oh, I was yeah, living yeah. in Iraqi, we had some wild chats. I was like, yeah. who is this dude? Like, I've never met anyone quite so open-minded. Such a clever guy. I'm picking up on this hard work ethic, and I can see um, most people that are listening to this won't realize how hard you work at what you do. They will see your polished, finished piece. Um, let me ask this question. Okay, so visualize probably 50 years from now, 100 years from now, so a few generations removed from Granddad Bevan. What would you, what would you want to be remembered for? And is there a way that you could boil that down to something that you go, oh, Bevan James Isles? And, and this is the, what comes to people's minds, you know, the people that love, admire you, respect you. Um, what would you love to be remembered for? Well, I think ultimately it goes along to my values. I think that, you know, like if, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a really good story Kylie Gates once told where she taught a class. So Kylie Gates, for those who don't know, is a person in Les Mills world. And she taught a class and then she went to the toilet after the class and all the members were talking about her. And she's kind of in the toilet while they're talking about her class. And I find that such an interesting moment because that could be quite a vulnerable moment because what would be the worst thing you'd want to hear? And then it could also be quite a cool moment because what would be sugar to your ears? And to me, the, the first thing I would say is if they were to say Bevan is an honest guy, if he's fun, if he's loving, if he's, he's a good person who kind of grows, those values would be the first thing. Um, but I think ultimately it's that in my morning process, one of the things I, um, kind of one of my affirmations is, is when people spend time with me, they'll feel life is better. You know, and I just love that, you know, and, and to me, if, if you're doing that in your, in your life, you're probably doing things right. And, and wow. what that means is it means different things, doesn't it? Because sometimes it's just having a laugh. Sometimes it's being the deeper meaningful. Sometimes it's, but it's that my presence has a good influence on the world. Well, I can account for that. It's working. Definitely. I love how you put that down. When I spend time with you, I definitely walk away clearer, sharper, and that's ultimately for the better. So thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. And so like, you know, that's, that's what we want, isn't it? We, you know, like I think, well, at least I do. I, I'd like to think, you know, my time on this place has made the place a better place. Certainly has. And you know what? I just had a, I, whether you call it an epiphany or a profound effect. So my story of following you guys from the Les Mills DVDs yeah. to New Zealand to actually land in Christchurch and get the wrong gym thinking it was just one place, <laughs> brought me in front of Bevan. And he actually shaped a lot. And I've told him this once before, but I don't know if I've told you, Rachel. He shaped 
the way that I wanted to become an instructor purely because one of the first classes that I ever went in, obviously packed with Bevan, and everyone's like, wait till you see Bevan James. And he was on straight after the class. Well, first of all, I was sat on the floor and he came and spent time with me. And then after the class, he immediately ran out of the class. And at first, the British in me was like, where's this dude going? Like, is he not going to stick around? And uh, I walked all the way through the gym to go towards the changing rooms. And he stood at the top of the stairs and he shook everybody's hand and high-fived everybody. And he made a profound effect. So now if we're looking into why and what shaped us, man, that just makes sense. I got the wrong gym, but you shaped my whole career in terms of that. So maybe I wasn't meant to go to Auckland. I followed you, Rachel, and everybody else. <laughs> to New Zealand got the bloody yeah. reaction <laughs> it is funny too. you know one thing I think is really important you know, one thing I think is really important with this is that we're very lucky because we're leaders and, and I remember one someone once said to me is once you get on stage you get you kind of get uh, I don't know if the power is the right word but you know people get put up on a pedestal have an opportunity and we're very lucky because we have this opportunity and and it's just that thing of what do you want to do with it you know, and, you know, like I remember, I remember one time some guy at the gym came to the reception, rang me and said, can you come down to the reception because some guy wants to talk to you. And this is a guy and he said, oh, you changed my life. And literally he come to my class once. He didn't even learn a city and I had a yarn to him and I just helped him think that he could do more. Basically, that's what happened. And, you know, but because of our position, we get this opportunity. And I, I remember when I was when I was probably late 20s, I kind of realized, shit, we're Pied Pipers. And it's just then, well, what do you want to do with it? You know, and so like for me to run down and high five makes myself special, it's like two seconds of effort. But if that made you feel that way, well, how cool is that? You know, yeah, and that's what it's all about. What's that? 2006 and now we're on 2021 yeah. and I still oh, tell everybody on my fitness journey. But what you were saying a little bit early on, so I ask everyone this question, is you even brought it up, like nobody's perfect, none of us are perfect. So what yeah. ultimately does being imperfectly perfect mean to you? Uh, well, what does it mean? I think it's having the courage to show it. You know? Um, so one of my weaknesses is, is that, and this is something I learned, and, and so I remember I, one of my, one of, kind of my, one of the Yodas of my life, and he was talking to me about how um, one of my problems, because with my ex-girlfriends, one of the problems I've often had in relationships in the past is they felt I didn't need them. So there was this thing of, if I wasn't around, you'd be fine. And so ultimately they probably didn't feel that they added value to the relate to me. And that was because I didn't, what would happen was, and this is what my friend said to me, he said, the problem with you, Bevan, is when you're in times of need, you don't actually go to the people who can support you. And so my thing would be, um, I'll solve it and then I'll show the world. So after the fact, I would, you know, I'm, I'm an open book. So after that, you'd, you'd all hear about it. You'd all figure out this thing I'd work through, but I'd never actually go to the people who could help me through that. And there's many problems with that because um, we like to be there for our, the people who are important in our lives. And I didn't give those people that opportunity. And so the thing I had, I've learned is, because I am an open book after the fact, but the thing I've learned is try to be more of an open book when you're in the thing, um, you know, when you're in the struggle. And, and it's hard because... You know, who wants to look weak? Who wants to look vulnerable? But the thing you actually learn is it's a better way through, but it, it, it can be a hard thing to confront. And I know for me, because I, 
you know, I would, you know, I would always get there. I would always kind of solve the problem and get there. And so in my mind, I was like, well, why do I need outside support? But there was damage I did to my world. But also it actually wasn't the fastest way forward. And so when I think about being imperfectly perfect, I think it's kind of a little bit about, um, you know, because what is, what's important in life and human connection is ultimately one of the most important things. And when we showed the true self, that's when we get deeper human connection. And, you know, and so like in that moment, if you can reveal your vulnerability, you actually open up to a deeper connection with people, you know, in really powerful ways. And, and often what happens as well, and this is why it's important for people like us, because we are seen as leaders and, and we're kind of always seen that it were, you know, there's nothing wrong with us. I and mean, it's not true, but it, it can be seen is that when we show our vulnerability, it allows other people to accept their own. And so there's just a real power that comes with that. And, um, yeah, so I suppose for me, it's just that kind of having the courage to show vulnerability in the moment of vulnerability. Mm, having the courage in the moment of vulnerability to show yeah. vulnerability. Wow. Yeah. I'm going to take that. I'm going to keep that. Courage is everything. It's that. And you, you've done a lot of things in your short life because you ain't old honey you would you've got i'm I'm middle-aged now i'm (laughs) middle-aged you wouldn't think it would you crikey mikey you wouldn't think it i mean you move quicker than 20 year olds you've got (laughs) fitness beyond fitness um courage and vulnerability in the moment vulnerability i'm interested to to sort of move that now and taking what you just talked about ask you around all these mediums of communication that you've jumped into and had the courage to start up you're, you're a front footer bit you know you're an early adopter you, you like to get stuck in your this work ethic um try everything get involved and i'm wondering if these mediums did you did you consciously know that this your podcast your book your your company the way that you approach life did you consciously know that was you trying to be courageous with vulnerability or did that come from just your go-getter attitude of work ethic? I mean, which came first, the chicken or the egg, I guess? Uh, probably a bit of everything, really. Um, I, I, I don't have a fear of trying. And I do think it's your job in life to put your hand up. So, for example, right now I'm playing in a band. And... Um, We've just finished recording our album. It should be out in the next couple of months. What? Um, Do you want to just pick that one up, listeners? He's in a yeah. band. He's just, he's, just, he's just done an album. It's going to be yeah. dropping soon. But, can, but, Glenn, can you play one of those? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what kind of music, Bevan? Uh, rock. So I kind of think Foo Fighters, Radio Rock is kind of what it is. Um, and, and now I'm an adult learner on the keyboards. So I'm, and, and, I, and I'm, this isn't an insecure, insecure statement. I'm not a great musician. Like, you know, like when we think of scale of musicians, I'm probably middle to lower level musician. Um, but I want to create music and and express music. And so I'm not afraid to put my hand up. And so, you know, I think that's one thing I've never necessarily been that fearful of, of trying. Now, there's things about this, like, we're, like and we're, trying, we're going to try and have a shot. Like, we're going to put an album out and we're going to try to see if we can do something with it. And we're, and we're practicing playing live. So it's, um, we're not just saying, hey, here's our music. You know, we're actually going to say, no, we're going to try to do something with this. Um, and there's a high chance it will fail because music's a pipe dream. But I'm going to be the guy who's going to try. Um, and so I've never been fearful of the failure side of it. Um, you know, because I kind of, to me, it's like, like one thing. So like we stand in front of people every day of our lives um, and I'm, we're all so comfortable with it. Now, 
me playing as a live musician, because I've only started playing live in the last three months of my life, I am the most vulnerable, train wreck, insecure, vulnerable, you know, just my hands are shaking because I'm so nervous. Like, it's like, think of the first time you ever taught a group fitness class. I'm going through that again. Oh, wow. Now, yeah. Oh, yeah. And But each time I'm getting a little bit better and I'm giving myself these little targets. But, mate, I remember teaching, a, we, we, we did a, a kind of next level gig a couple of weeks ago. I was so scared. I was so vulnerable. I'm like shitting my, I'm, you know, you know, like thinking of how can I pull off an injury so I don't have to go, you know, you go all that process in your head, you know, and it's like, um, and I got up and I, I made mistakes. I wasn't perfect. I wasn't great. But if I want to be a live performing musician, I've got to go through that moment. And I've got to, you know, I've got to learn my, I've got to learn my trade and got to do my skills. And so I think for me is that I've, I'm willing to put my hand up. And actually, I learned it years ago, actually, because I remember years ago, I had this, I PT'd for a while, and I had this client who was this hairdresser, and he was kind of your stereotypical male, you know, gay hairdresser, and he was very flamboyant, and but he was also one of the world's most recognized um, hairdressers. He was a very successful hairdresser. And the, the thing he did really well was he let the world know he was a good hairdresser. You know, you know, and and the way he did it, I wasn't necessarily how I'd go about doing it. But the thing I took from him was he was never afraid to put his hand up. And and I do think in life, you know, look at what Glenn's done with, with what you're doing, Glenn. It's amazing. Now, people will look on the outside and go, look at the impact he's done. And I wish I could have this. But I know, Glenn, you've put your hand up and it started as a small thing and just contacting people and then it grew and grew. And I just think that in life, it is your job to put your hand up. And if, if, you know, the thing is, somebody gets to be Dave Grohl, and I'm going to at least put my hand up. And now, I'm, you know, let's be honest, high chance I won't be Dave Grohl, but at least I know I had a shot. And for me, I've never really had that fear of putting my hand up. Because there's already a, there's already a Dave Grohl, but there isn't a Bevan Jones yeah. Ailes, right, Glenn? Yeah. And yeah. you know, yeah. there wasn't a Glenn Marsden, and there is now, yeah. and his name's out there. And we'll talk about yourself, Glenn. Like when you started this this campaign, this, you know, like it was just, I'm sure it's just a little a little spark in your head, and then you kind of put your hand up, and then it grew and grew and grew. Yeah, and attesting to what I was saying before about finding out about um, a friend who I'd made recently, and again, it was the same cycle. He'd not reached out to anybody and he was struggling six weeks ago, but his highlight reels on social media. So first of all, that made me even where the campaign is now reevaluate it. And I posted even today about it. And I was going, I'm very transparent, but these conversations need to go even deeper because it's the strong people like yourself, like me, like Rachel, that everyone sees on stage. But how many people are turning around because ultimately they come to us because we, they think we're this source of like this pillar of strength and go, Bevan, how are you doing today? Or Rachel, how are you doing? And sometimes it just takes that directness to turn around and have the hard conversations. Cause like I'll speak openly, like I've told you before, Bevan and Rachel knows that half oh, this journey has taken me, I've been brought to my knees, but I've learned that it's a lesson. So I've never been scared of failing either. And sometimes I'm like, <laughs> Rachel, I have no idea what I'm doing. Like I'm just, putting one foot in front of the other and I've got a supportive network and I'm just like, what the hell? And then people are going, but there's celebrities and there's press and there's this. And I'm going, I just picked up the phone and I just reached out and I just, I, I just did it. And now I've learned exactly what you said. Those failures actually don't be scared of them because there's growth in failure. At least, you know, if you're shit at something, <laughs> you can pivot or you can only get better. But if you don't try, like I once heard, 
like on your deathbed, are you going to look back? When you, I think you've heard of the viral video where a nurse or somebody talks to people on their deathbed and go, is there anything you could have ever done? And it's like, oh, we said I've tried more. Oh, we said I've just gone for what I wanted to do. And I, that's always stuck with me. And I thought, yeah, you know what? I, from you guys, from my fitness career, I've never looked at somebody on a pedestal. And I know a lot of people get put on them from highlight reels. But if there's anything I think we all agree on, when you're in fitness, you don't see a title or a profession. You see a person. And I've always taken that. So that, that, that's that been my journey. And yeah, it's turning into a, like a little sub thing. It's like, you guys have put that on me through my fitness journey. So it's, has there anybody who's who's made such a profound effect on you? I know you mentioned that woman that said about the guitar, but anybody that has ultimately just made you sit back and gone, oh, wow. Yeah, it was my first manager at Leeds Mills, a guy called Chris War. Um, Chris War is this guy who's just deeply intelligent when it comes to people. Uh, for example, he, he was a school teacher. He went to the UK after he worked for us and he became a school teacher and he worked at one of the, um, the one of the lower decile schools and he basically got the English department to be the best English department in London. Um, he, had, he had the school board come watch him and they said, what you're doing is so phenomenal, but we can't duplicate you. You know, he's just one of those people. Um, and he was so important for me because A, he taught me to find my values and he just he just understood what it took to keep me at my highest level you know he you know to me a mentor's job is to understand where the person is and then understand how to stretch them at the right level and give them the tools um and he was just always so profound in what he could offer me um and he was only in my life really for about two or three years but he kind of set up a foundation which really i could kind of springboard off moving forward um, and, and to these days, I don't necessarily have people in my life. Well, I do because yeah, if you have people you have deep conversations with, but it's not necessarily in that way. I'm kind of more inspired by people. Like nowadays, I'm more inspired by people who are just courageous to do big things. You know, like it really, you, you guys probably need not know this example, but with I like rugby league, and there's a there's a new guy called Peter Valandis who's the new head of the NRL in Australia. And he's come on board and he's just courageous and he's just doing his moves. And you know, he was the first sport in the world to come back in COVID. And he, in day one, he said, we're going to be back on this day. And everyone's like, you're, you're an idiot. And he made it happen, you know? And, and I just, I, I kind of, I've, I woke up recently, I had an epiphany recently where I actually realized the last 10 years of my life I'd been too safe and that um, I invested wisely when I was younger. So my wife and I are in a position where we, when we're 50, we, probably wouldn't have to work again. And so what I discovered was that um, I'd almost was waiting for 50. And the problem was, was that I've got a good life. So I could justify staying in this place. So, you know, like I, I, I do the thing I love. I've got a business that works really well. Um, it's all really good. It's, you know, but, but actually what and subconsciously I created was I do want to do bigger things. I don't want to achieve more and have a bigger reach or have a bigger impact, but I'm kind of waiting till 50 because I've got this, this kind of nest egg that I've built there. When I'm 50, I get to be that person. And I realized actually you're actually hurting your life for that reason. And I realized I need to make some massive shifts in my life to actually become the person who can be more ambitious of what I want to do with my life. Um, and it's been really good for me because I've made some massive changes. Like I've offloaded 80% of my work and now I'm just working on big projects that are about having a bigger impact. And um, I'm, again, before was good, but man, I'm so stimulated right now because 
I look at a Peter Vlandes and I go, well, what would he do in a situation? And, he, and like, because I've written this book right now, which is a kind of, um, it's a book that's designed to take people from doing nothing to having a lifetime love of exercise. And it's like, why can't it be a number one selling book? You know, like, and I'm thinking like in America, you know, like, and again, you don't, you don't know if you're going to get that, but I'm just, I am being more ambitious and asking a higher level of myself and maybe more for what I can reach for. And again, you could look at my life up to this point in time and go, he's done really well, but it's like, if anything, safety became a barrier for me. And yeah. So, so for me, I'm inspired nowadays by people who just have the guts to be, to look higher. If you know what I mean? Mm, gosh, yeah. I'm, I'm looking back and I'm, I'm listening to you talk and I'm just going far out. I was really tired today after a big day of work, but this has really energized me because of your drive and, and your eyes open attitude to life. And I'm thinking, how many times did the universe push back on Bev and James Isles and say, you know what, this is all you're going to be. And then these moments where you put your hand up and pulled the mirror on yourself and went, is, is this who you are? Are you happy with this? You seem mm -hmm. to keep asking yourself, are you happy with this? Are you happy? You're, you're one of the happiest guys I know because you're so busy and you're so good at contributing to the community. And yet still here you are going, but is, is that it? Is there more? Mm -hmm. could, you, could you do more? Can you offer more? It's such a, a full life. I do wonder asking you this question, you know, what, what do you want to be remembered for? How can you ask a man that question, Rachel, who's literally not even started at his potential? <laughs> it's like, he's not even reaching his potential. Like, uh, then there's the question, when you mentor people, who, who is your mentor? And who, who are your mentors? Because who you are as a, as a human being is very inspiring to many people around. And it'd be very, very cool to know who you, yeah, you, know what, you, know, you know, I don't actually use a mentor as such myself, but to me, I, I'm going to go back to my tools, you know, like I think, you know, you said it there, you, you know, you said I, you put a mirror in front of myself. I, I, I think the ultimate tool is awareness, you know, good, honest awareness. That is the greatest tool. And, and then to then act upon that awareness. Um, you know, the reason I was able to have that moment where I realized I was safe is because I sat down and gave myself five hours to think about myself, you know, and, and I'm sure Anybody listening to this right now, if you took a day off, went somewhere nice, just put some good hard questions in front of yourself and then made a plan, you know, like, you know, like in our world, our fitness world's a hard world, you know, this, Rach, you know, like it's, it's a young man's game, you know, like it's, it's a tough game. It's, um, you know, there's some questions that we, we don't ask because we're safe. And, and, and I just think that ultimately, if you've got good tools that make you have awareness, you're going to have to confront and um, and then if you can, then you can make plans that can help you move forward. And, and there yeah, it is, yeah. There it yeah. is, if you can, because you're saying, I'm sure if you all go away and everyone's listening to this, go, yeah, 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 I mean, I've done that. I've, I've had a couple of hours to myself or I've taken a Sunday off, but they might ask the questions, but we don't action them, do we? we okay, so I'll share, I'll share on this because mm. I do have lots of thoughts on this. So, so I think the problem is, is people are terrible at creating the plan. So, so I've got this 5k running business and we're really successful. So to me, success is do people achieve the goal? So when I'm selling you something, do you actually achieve the goal? So our goal with this program is to get to run 5k's. Our target market is unfit, overweight, haven't exercised in years, vulnerable, insecure, have a story that tells them they're going to fail. They join our product saying, I probably won't get there. 
So the only reason they join is because they see we've been successful. Now we have a 90% success rate. So 90% of the people who join end up running 5Ks with us. So we, we, we know how to make them successful. And I, starting this product was the best thing for my career because one of the downfalls of the fitness industry is we're really good at helping fit people, but we really fail with the people who are unfit. And, you know, look, look at all the products on the market. They're really targeted for, for, for people. So when I started this 5K business, I, I kind of failed them for the first period. Like I, the program wasn't that successful. It was because all the lessons, I, I had to learn so many new lessons. But one thing I learned was that, um, so there's a few things that are really key. When you try to create change, the first thing you've got to get right is what I call your entry point. And your entry point is the first thing you're aiming for so like for example in the 5k program they join now their first session is really important because these people can have one bad experience and they'll quit so because they're so on the edge the whole time so their first experience is really important so the entry point is when i start doing this behavior when i enter this behavior where can i guarantee success so for the four-hour program, it's they do a basic strength workout, very basic strength workout. Then they do three and a half minutes of easy walking and then 30 seconds of and very light running. We're telling them to slow down. We say, go slower. Like I can walk fast, doesn't matter, go slower. And then they do like seven sets of that. Now, they come along, they do their first session and the entry point's achievable. So they walk away from that first session, they go, man, I've done it. And then what they do is... They come along and they do a few more sessions at that level. Now, the next point is really important because then we think, how do we stretch them in a way they can still be successful? So once they've done three sessions at that level, then we, we, we do ask them to grow, but we ask them to grow in a way where they can still be achievable. So it goes from like 30 seconds to, I think, 45 seconds. Now, even for these people, that's still a jump that's scary for them, but it's achievable. And I think what, a lot, what happens a lot of time in life is that we have the awareness moment, we want to create change, but how we set up change sets us up to fail. And I think often what happens is because we, we think about the outcome we want or we think about the result we want or we think of other people who we know have achieved these things and we don't actually think of the wisest plan forward. And to me, the first thing you've got to, so let's say, you know, you want to bring music into your life. So you are thinking about, um, you know, you want to play guitar. Well, what's an entry point? Now, a lot of people are going to go, well, I want to learn a song that I can play at a guitar, you know, at a party. Well, your entry point might just be to learn one chord, you know, and be able to learn one chord and strum it four times and to be able to do that for a week. And then your next level would be go to learn your second chord. And I just think people don't manage their growth pathway very well. And to me, if you can become a really great manager of your growth pathway, then what happens? Because the really fascinating thing about our 5K experiences. Normally about six or seven weeks into it, they come up to me and they say, Bevan, I see other runners and I think I'm a runner as well. Now, this is a really important moment in their journey because what happens is they've shifted how they believe about themselves. You know, and that's what, you know, if you can create a good growth pathway, you build evidence, which changes your belief pattern. And then your belief pattern becomes a new identity. And to me, I think a lot of people, if you are listening to this and you're going, okay, I'll give myself the awareness moment, but I never actually create a change. Well, where's a really wise entry point? And what are the stretch points along the way where you can actually be successful? And that's something probably it's worth thinking about. It's amazing the way that you even put it, because even that related to anything in life where too many people don't enjoy that process. That 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 is the point that the growth actually comes. So I think it's it's amazing what you're doing and the way that 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 you just brought it out there. What would you say to anybody that's listening now through your career, through fitness, 
Um, in fact, I'll touch upon this question because um, it's something that Rachel's really big into and I know myself. What have you learned when it comes to just relaxing about body image? Because we're talking predominantly, yeah. we've all got a fitness yeah. background. Yeah, what totally. you were at the beginning, you touched upon it. Now it's like a younger person's, we're all getting older and the next generation yeah. coming up. Yeah. Where's your head with that? If there's anybody listening, thinking that they have to look like these pinnacle of, of what they see. It's what pretty tough nowadays too, isn't it? Because let's be honest with the Instagram world and, um, you know, it's, it's, it's really tough. I think it's tough. Um, to me, I think the first thing is, is your focus should always be growth and the reward of growth is image. Um, you know, like, oh, I, I like looking good. Don't get me wrong. And, and it's something I do care about. You know, I'm not going to deny it. There, there is a, a little, in my mind, it's like me to look good. Um, I, I'm a good manager of my health and fitness. So I never really look that bad. So I know how to manage that. Um, but I just think that ultimately your first focus should be the evolution of yourself. And fitness is a way to understand and grow that. And through that, you will get a better image. Um, I just don't, I, I really worry about people who think image first. I, I, I just think that ultimately, because um, you'll lose. Because if, because the problem with image is it's youth, mm. you know, and we can't win youth. And so if you're going to, yeah, and you know, we all see the people who are trying to grip onto youth. And ultimately, that's just not a very good focus in your life. And ultimately it's just going to create a very sad person. And to me, the, the, the point of life is wisdom. And so, you know, if you're going to use fitness as a chance to evolve and grow yourself, well then fitness is a really good, because fitness is tough. Fitness, you've got to build character. Fitness, you've got to, you know, you've got to overcome adversity. Fitness, you've got to build friendships. You know, there's just so much good that comes with fitness. And if you put your focus on the growth of fitness, um, you'll get an image that you can be proud of but it wouldn't be the focus of that. Uh, but it is uh, another problem I think that we have is that there's a lot of people who are really healthy, but are too worried about their health. You know, one of the, you know, there's, there's so many people who have amazing bodies and they worry so much about their image. And it's like, to me, it's like that kind of the resource of your mind. So the resource of your mind is where do I spend my time thinking? You know, and to me, I want to spend my time thinking about how to connect, how to solve big problems, you know, all that exciting stuff. If I'm spending my time thinking I've eaten too much food today, when actually I'm in really good nick, what a waste of my mind resource. And it's just that real question of where do you spend your time thinking? And is where I'm spending my time thinking a waste of my life? And unfortunately, now there's some people who do need to think about their health and, and you know, they do get paid for, but there's actually a lot of people who are really healthy and are worrying about stuff they don't even need to worry about. Like if I were to worry about what I eat, what a waste of my life. I've been, I've managed my weight for 25 years. I know how to, you know, it's never been a problem. So why do I need to worry about it? You know, and, and if I were to worry about it, well, then I'm losing opportunities to spend time thinking about problems or things that are way better use of my energy. So it's a, it's a tough one, you know, in comparison, it's a really tough because nowadays it's so powerful in front of your face. But I do think if you could put your energy on, uh, connection, growth, you know, enjoyment, you know, you're going to end up with a better body anyway. <laughs> Listeners are probably just absolutely enamored by you, Bevan. You have such a balanced approach. It's like you've got all the answers, everything. I'm, I'm listening and I'm thinking <laughs> that, that this book, can't wait for this book, you know. Um, I'm wondering, I'm going to pose this to you. Do you think 
your growth mindset, and that's a phrase that has probably been mm. overused. So do you think your self-awareness, your ability to have such a high work ethic and your craving for growth has kept your mind so busy and so healthy that ultimately you are physically healthy? Because mental health really does impact people's physical appearance. Mm. I often say to people, hey, look, if you're happy on the inside, the outside will take care of itself. Yeah. And I can see how my own personal happiness has definitely been reflected externally. Okay. You know, people can see, but then on the other side, I've looked ripped and absolutely shredded and I've been fittest I've ever been, but they're miserable. Mm. So do you think your, your balanced approach to life with this growth mindset and work ethic has helped keep you physically um in such good nick yeah I, I think i think ultimately what for me my experience is it's kind of what do you prioritize in your day and you know one one question i do when i do public talks is um what's the first thing that gets dropped when you get busy and it's kind of everything that's good for you you know so when people get busy they drop their exercise they drop their food planning they drop connection time with others and then i say who's busy and everyone puts their hand up and so it's kind of this you know one of the biggest problems we have is we neglect the things that are important to us at, and particularly at times when we need them the most and the one thing i've learned in life is that so my, my tools are exercise i meditate every day i journal every day i do my morning thing that i talked about earlier and, and music those are my emotional tools you know that, that's that's i'm a big believer that instead of being reactive to emotion we should have tools that help us balance emotion daily and so when you look at and, and i i plan my day so if you look at my calendar uh, basically I can only work for about three hours before I turn to shit. So, so, so then I plan an emotional offload. So basically I'll get up, I'll teach a class, I'll come home and do a couple of hours of work and then I'll stop and then I'll have lunch and meditate. Then I'll do another three hours of work and I'll stop and play piano. And then I'll do another three hours of work and I'll do some exercise. And so I'm a, I'm a big believer that what we want to do is plan emotional tools and at regularity times regularly in our day. So we never actually get far behind. Cause I think what a lot of people do is they don't look after their emotions. They neglect them. It becomes that first thing that falls off the wagon. And then they wake up and in a real bad emotional state. Now, unfortunately for a lot of people, the way they deal with emotion is to make things worse. So it's drinking, it's disconnecting, it's, it's eating, it's, you know, sitting in front of Netflix for 10 hours, you know. Mm. You're and talking so, to most of the listeners, right? This is what we all do. We all yeah, drink, eat and watch TV. <laughs> yeah. And so, and so what, what my, my strategy has always been beat, the, beat it. You know, beat it by injecting. And so when I go back to what do you prioritize? Like we wake up in the morning. One of the first things we think is when am I going to exercise today? You know, that's what we do. And the thing about us is on our busiest days, we're still going to get some exercise in, you know, and I kind of have that with my emotional tools as well. No matter how, so like I, I can work like a beast. I can get up at four in the morning and work through to 10 at night. But when I have those days, the first thing I say is, when are you going to meditate today? when you're going to make sure you get the piano in. Now, I like to play piano for an hour and a half to an hour and an hour and a half a day. On those days, I ain't going to play for that long, but I'll get on and do 20 minutes or 15 minutes. And the reason is, is that to me, your job with your emotion is first of all, what tools work for you? And no tool works for everybody, you know, like some people can't meditate, but there are things that work for you. And it can be just get outside and have a cup of tea, you know, whatever it is, talk, ring a friend. 
And then once you start to understand what your tools is, your job is to look at your day and go, my job is to inject these things in. And I like to do it in time periods, which A, give me a mental release, but also give me an emotional release. So like if I've got a really high stressful business thing happening, if I meditate, I come out the outside, I can just solve it much more wisely. Um, so there's that. And then there's also just, I just have better energy for the second half of my day. But then the second thing is it's to become what I call a healthy high performer. And that's this thing of when I'm most busiest, I defend those things most instead of neglecting those things. And so it's like, if you're listening to this, you probably know what those things are to you that, that help you look after your emotions. And um, when you, next time you're busy, ask yourself, how do I make sure I put those things first? Now, what's really interesting about this stuff is, A, you, you, you function, you know, your emotions get looked after. But the second thing is you actually function higher at the things you're trying to do anyway. So, like, if I stop and meditate for 20 minutes, I do much better work on my business in the second half of my day anyway. Whereas if I don't do that, the second half of my day, I, I'm a bit shit. I'm a bit mush. I'm a bit distracted. So it's not just because it looks after my emotion. It means I also function as a higher level person. And to me, I just think that ultimately one thing we all need to understand is learn what my emotional tools are, learn to inject them at regular times throughout the day. So I have these little offloads, but then also become the greatest defender of them because the world will always try to take them away from you. And if, if you, if they do take them away and how you respond is negative, then, you know, you're going the opposite downward spiral. You know what? I love that. And I wish, and it, it, it is coming more to fruition, but that is the ultimate leader. Leadership skills and quality is there, how you can impact so many people. And I think if a lot more people who run organizations, and it's happening slowly, but if they yeah. injected that and they realized that working people like that, I think COVID slowed it down and made even them go in, in, in respect and have a go and go, we need to have those intervals because if we're working people like workhorses and they're continuously going, that emotional state should become, I don't know. I'll, give you, I'll give you an example. I'll give you an example. So I got this lady I was mentoring and she kind of owns like a power company and uh, she's a very successful lady. And uh, so she was an emotional wreck and she was overworked on the rest of it. So we did all these tools and we kind of figured out what her kind of three or four tools were. And, and I said to her, we're going to do a challenge. And for the next month, Every morning you're going to get up. The first thing you'll say is, when am I putting my tools in? And that comes first no matter what. So she goes away. We catch up the next month. We get on the call. She goes, Bevan, you're not going to believe it. But in the last month, I've had like the equivalent of eight months of sale in one month. It's never happened before. It's It's been absolutely mind-blowing. So as she's telling me this, in my mind, I think she's going to say to me, so Bevan, I haven't done my tools. And, you know, as, as a leader or mentor, sometimes you've got to let people off the hook. You know, sometimes, you know, You've had eight months of sales in one month. Fair enough. Let's just make sure you do it next month. But she didn't. She turned around. She goes, but Bevan, I did the tools. And she said, it was mind-blowing. Because she said, um, A, because I've, I've, normally she put on weight. She'd had problems in relationships. She said, I haven't put on weight. My relationship's strong. Um, she said, normally I feel I'm losing myself. And she said, I felt really aligned in this period. But she said, it's been the best thing for my business because I've done the best work I've ever done in the busiest time I've ever had. And that's what we need people to understand. If you're a business owner, by teaching your people these tools, it's better for your business. Yeah. You know, like it's a, you know, like that's the thing. Like that's why when I wake up on my busy day, I go, when are you going to meditate? Because I know I'm going to do better work in the second half of my day. If I don't meditate, it's worse for my business. And that's, and it's, but it's also not just for your business. Mothers, you know, one thing I've learned is mothers always put themselves last. And they think it's good for my family to put myself last. That's not. 
Putting yourself first at times in your day means your family gets a better version of yourself. You know, like for people, their mothers who join our 5K group, they go, oh, I've just got so much better energy for my family and they're getting a better version of me. You know, like putting yourself last is never a good strategy. Wow. Well, what a conversation. This has been amazing. <laughs> this has truly been amazing. And I just want to say, obviously, on behalf of us knowing you, the campaign, everything, um, where can people find out more information? Because I know everyone knows you from Les Mills, but all the people, listeners that are like, I want to know more about this guy because I need him pour into me. <laughs> well, well um, you go to my website, bevanjamesiles.com. I've got a podcast called The Bevan James Isles Show. Um, one thing I, and I'll probably come back to you when this book comes out, but I'm really passionate about my project right now. So I've written a book that's called um, I Will Make You Passionate About Exercise. Uh, and it's a 10-step journey to take someone who's doing nothing to having a lifetime love. It's not just to achieve one fitness goal, but to have a lifetime love of exercise. Uh, I've finished writing. It's kind of the publisher right now. It won't come out till like April, March next year, but I, I really want to impact people who aren't moving because we understand the, the importance of the movement. And when you bring movement to people's life, it changes their life. You know, and we've seen this many times. And so going back to that formula and plan, I've really designed this book in a way where people can be successful with it. So I'll come back to you at that time because maybe I'll come back on and have a chat about that then because, you know, I want to get as many people um, reading that book and, and hopefully getting more people. You know, my, you know, my mission is getting people moving. And so there's so many people who aren't. So, you know, that'd be my main thing at the moment. Well, that's the thing. You You work together collectively. You can impact more people. That's, yeah. that's the main thing. Rachel, yeah. any last words? Yeah. Um, when are you next coming up to Auckland? And I'm going to book you in. Let's <laughs> let's have coffee. This I need that injection of Bevan James Isles. Guys, oh. if you haven't checked him out, um, I'm sure this podcast is probably more than what the taste buds for this fountain of energy, um, enthusiasm, direction, focus, um, and inspiration. Uh, Glenn, always picks the good ones um so there's there's just been an absolute pleasure thank you so much for spending can i, can I just can us. i just say lastly uh, first of all thank you for having me on it's, it's been a real pleasure uh and just both the work you guys do you know like rach the impact you have on the world is absolutely phenomenal and um, i've always loved that I remember being in amsterdam remember how deep and meaningful you know rach and i this the shovels are straight out there's no how you going it's just <laughs> get those shovels out and uh, it's just always been a really awesome presence in my life and i really appreciate having you as a friend and glenn i've, I've been watching you from the sidelines and i just think the work you're doing, mate, is so, so important. And just keep it up, mate, because it's bloody brilliant. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. What he does is amazing. Glenn has brought so many of us together oh. to be able to, um, like, shine the light in the darkness that everyone, especially in the fitness industry, eh, Bevan, where, yeah. you know, it's all about looking good, feeling good, and no one's had an opportunity to talk about when they don't feel good and when they're not sure if yeah. they look good. And Glenn and the Imperfectly Perfect campaign definitely um, became a, a lighthouse in my darkness. And I'm so grateful, Glenn, that you have spent the hardest yards giving people the platform and the opportunity to, um, to see that there is lightness and a way to connect with each other. We love your work. Yeah, saying that, you, you've got this bright beacon of light around you because there's a light. Yeah, <laughs> she does. <laughs> She's like an angel. <laughs> She's got the, the yellow, light bulb. you know. <laughs> <laughs> but thank you. I appreciate you both. You've both made huge impacts on my life, as you both know. But guys, I'm going to put all the links up where you can find Bevan. So make sure to go to all the major um, podcast platforms. But the main thing we always like to say on this podcast is make sure you have those hard conversations because it's the hard conversations that save lives. 
To find out more about the Imperfectly Perfect campaign and how you can get involved, simply head to our official website at imperfectlyperfectcampaign.org or email us today at info at imperfectlyperfectcampaign.org to speak to one of the team. The Imperfectly Perfect campaign is creating awareness and is not a substitute for professional advice. Should you need help, please refer to your nearest crisis number.